Great leadership is about principles. From our work with hundreds of school leaders, it is clear that those who understand this are the ones who thrive. At Making Stuff Better, we create regenerative spaces. Whether these be through executive coaching, coach training, or our group programs, one principle is clear. The principle of belonging comes up time and time again. So with this in mind, here at Making Stuff Better, we are making 2023 the year of belonging. This show is a series of journeys we will take to explore what belonging means in an international school in the 21st century. What does it feel like? How do you create it? What matters most about it? And do we even need it at all in our schools? Join us as we discuss leadership stories from around the globe and uncover what belonging means today and why leaders may need it to thrive. By me, Matt Hall, and my friend and colleagues, Jill Kelly and Naomi Ward, powered by Making Stuff Better. Hello, folks. Just jumping on because we are increasingly being asked by colleagues about how they might create more regenerative conversations in their setting. Similarly, lots of people are asking us about how they might bring coaching into their schools, or they may be asking us about how they might train as a coach themselves. Well, with that in mind, I'm delighted that we're going to be running a two-day online training in Prologue. Prologue is our introduction to coaching for educators, and it's going to take place on the 6th and 7th of June. It's for you if you know about the power of coaching, you want to bring a more coach-like being and thinking and doing into your leadership, whatever your role in your setting is. I guarantee it will be an enriching personal development experience and you'll really deepen your connection to yourself and to others. So you're warmly invited to join us. We'll be meeting online from 7am to 1pm BST. Loads of breaks as we go on the 6th and 7th of June. The link to find out more and to book is in the show notes or you can go to msbprolog.eventbrite.co.uk. And as an MSB podcast listener, if I can say that, you will get £50 off if you enter the code MSB podcast as you check out. The training is going to be facilitated by Naomi and Jill, who also, as you know, host the podcast and are really, really good at this work. They really know what it is to coach. They really know what it is to work in schools. And the combination of those two things creates a really great training experience. It'll be really good fun, highly engaging, very interactive. And I hope hugely useful to anyone thinking about bringing coaching to their school or just looking to develop their ability as a coach themselves. We hope to see you there, but let's get on with this week's show. Hello, Jill. Hello, Matt. Bit of a bit of a different one today because it's it's just you and me. We are void of guests. Yeah, but we thought we'd just take this chance to check in. We're kind of almost partway through the series and we set out to explore this idea of belonging and what it means and what it might look like in school. So so it feels like it's a nice time just to do a bit of a time out, gather our thoughts before we delve back in and jump back in and get a whole load of other guests on the show. Does that sound good to you? That's, yeah, it's timely. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So we started, you know, the quote that we always started with and that's really driven a lot of this inquiry is this, this lovely quote of, you know, we are not the survival of the fittest, we are the survival of the nurtured. Yeah, I wonder where your thinking is on that based on the people that we've met and the time that's passed since we set out on this journey. There's been some really interesting viewpoints put across through all the speakers, which have really provoked my thinking. 
And one of them was with Roy Layton, who talked about belonging not automatically or necessarily being a good thing, that actually human beings can bend themselves almost out of shape of their original shape just to fit in with community. And I think we started this idea maybe romantically with this idea of belonging being all, belonging being, you know, being part of something. But there's an adjunct to that, that it's not belonging at all costs. It's belonging in a real space that's kind of right for you and chimes with your values. Yeah, you get what you need from that sense of belonging, but still allows you to be you. Don't don't change who you are just to fit in with something. And goodness me, we know all through childhood, people will do that to just not be the lonely one. And this idea that loneliness is a bad thing as well. We've got sort of idea and the media and even down to partnering, coupling up, you know what, you're single? Oh, you're single. You haven't got a partner? Oh, here's, here's, your, here's the dating app. Here's this, here's that. So uh, yeah, there's a kind of thought train or process going around that, which I've found really sort of challenging and interesting and made me reflect on my own life. And where have I done that? Where have I bent myself out of shape to fit in with a group because I want to belong? And I, and I can honestly say that I've done it numbers of times. And each time, yeah, it's not felt right. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. And Doug Lemov kind of built on that, I think, somewhat. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. What do, what do we sacrifice in order to belong? Yeah. There's something about the word. I find there's something really curious about the word, something soft and gentle about the shape of the word and the sound of the word. It, like it sounds, belonging sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds like a, it sounds like a really comforting and a great thing to aspire to. So I'm the same. I've been challenged that already. Just just because belonging sounds nice and safe and and lovely and a worthy thing doesn't mean to say that that we should default to to achieving it straight away without thinking about it critically. Yeah, and this idea of wanting to belong because they're too scared to be on their own, or anyone might be too fearful to be on their own, and maybe there's something about embracing aloneness, embracing embracing that um, as a positive. I know coaching very much talks about you are all that you need and creative, resourceful and whole as a human being. You've got all the resources you need in this world to have a fantastic life. And that doesn't mean that you have to go and partner up with somebody. You've got it all within you. So, so is that is belonging that for some people born out of the fear of not wanting to be on their own? But equally, there's the flip side, which is lovely. And when, when it works, when you are truly belonging, and you really do feel seen and heard. What difference does that make? Well, you know, I, I know from personal experience, if you really do feel seen and heard, it's just permission giving to kind of go for it, you know, for your life. To be really known. It also allows, just as we talk about it, a level of forgiveness. So if you do mess up or do something that may may not be seen as right, whatever, being really known, true intentions and all that, there's a level of expansiveness about that relationship that allows an element of sort of forgiveness, I suppose, if that's the right word. Mm. Uh, understanding. Mm. Yeah, it's curious that. I think, and it comes, it makes me think of that that phrase that we often use about, yeah, trust the people, see the people. So to be, to really belong, to be seen, you need to be seen. And I think Zahara's, the chat we have with Zahara around the role of diversity, equality, inclusion, and justice in this is so important. Like it's really 
you know, she was really reminding me of how it's just not, this is more than just what does it mean to join a sports team or what does it mean to join a school? There's a real level of complexity around this that I don't, I don't think I was probably sufficiently alert to when we started. And, and I think it's territory in which you have to be, have to be careful and be really, be really aware to the sensitivities around it. Yeah. And the point where these discussions have also brought us to challenge the kind of MO of coaching that coaches a neutral person when actually this is something I'm going to be exploring with Charmaine Roche from May onwards, you know, where is social justice in that space of coaching and how do we enable people to achieve their goals when faced with systemic constraints that, you know, they or I can do nothing about. And obviously we use coaching skills and put you in relationship to that issue, but there has been some criticism of coaching as being too blind to systemic constraints, oppression even, and just saying, come on, you've got all the resources you need. You can do it. You can do this. Actually, there's, you know, it's quite hard for people to feel a sense of belonging when they're being told to stay out or there are systems. Yeah, quite. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's a really important development in coaching and and in education that, yeah, this idea, you know, that, that original notion that you said, you know, you've got, you've got everything you need, just, just manifest manifest the, the position in the world that you want when it's just utterly naive to think of it in that way when you're not taking into fact the kind of systemic barriers that people face. And, and again, I think as a white middle-class male, I have been far too naive about that and just thinking, yeah, it's just, you know, well, if you need to belong, just, just you know, find ways of developing a culture that allows that. And actually you can't do that from a place of naivety. You've got to be really informed about what belonging means for a range of people, not just the people like you. Yeah. And also it raises the question about the industry of coaching and where it's come from and how it's formed and who's written the guidelines. You've got bodies like ICF, EMCC, et cetera. You know, where does that all come from in terms of, you know, what's the lens that has been brought to bear on those standards? And, and not, is that lens keeping people away from being seen? So look, questions have really arisen. I don't know the answers fully to them, but it's certainly been very helpful in helping me to critique and just look at coaching and look at this idea of belonging from a bit of a distance. And another thing, I sort of nudge us forward slightly because I think one of the things that's come out of my thinking about this topic, which we haven't really touched upon a huge amount, is is just around that that piece around belonging to self. So I think when we've approached this so far, we're very much thinking about belonging to community and belonging to systems and belonging to schools. And I guess it's a bit for us to explore going forward, but it's certainly something that was a big feature of the work we did last year. And it is a big feature of any coaching relationship, isn't it? This idea of belonging to self. So let's, I don't know, should we dive into that? I kind of want to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I guess it comes from this, this, my understanding and my belief that it's very hard. It's hard to, that maybe it starts there, right? That it starts there. If you, if you, mm. if you don't feel like you belong within your own body or within your own heart, or within your own, with your own internal system, then it's going to be very hard to feel like you belong and you fit in. Maybe that, sorry, fit into the wrong word. That implies c- compliance that you belong, that you are part of something bigger. I've seen this time and time again, that the, the need to feel at peace 
and part of the bigger picture often does start with the self-work and the internal journey and the internal exploration rather than the external one. I don't know, but maybe I'm, maybe that's BS. What, what, what do you think? Well, uh, this made me think about some work I did with a fantastic coach called Nikki Armitage Foy, who ran or still does run the Electric Woman program. And there was one session that we were looking at or thinking about ancestry and my mother, my, my grandmother and, and beyond and what the legacy of those that ancestry has led to on my own. So we often think about yourself being in relation to another live human being, another live community, but actually even on your own, you are in relationship with your history. So you're never ever completely alone. And I think your point about, does it start with that knowing yourself? I think so, because it feels, otherwise it can feel like you're trying to fill a gap in yourself and you don't even realize it by trying to join a particular group. What is, what is the gap in you that you're filling to be part of X, Y, Z? And then that could lead you to make some very poor decisions and some very poor choices around who you choose to spend your time around because they make you feel good or, or somehow fill your deficiency as you perceive it to be. If you know yourself with all your wholeness, with all your areas of where you want to develop further and, and don't sort of do, do yourself down around being bad at something or good at something, if you are okay with that, okay with yourself, then you, including your values and what they, what they are, then the people you choose to spend time with, you'd hope would be then based on what would then nurture you, what would then be best to be with these this group of people. And that might mean getting intellectual challenge. It might not just sitting quietly and accepting the status quo, but actually nurturing you means growing if those are your values. So I think if you don't know yourself fully, and oh my goodness, it's a big old, it's a life's work, isn't it? Knowing yourself fully and knowing that is changes every month, every day, maybe you might be something else that you found out about yourself. But at any given moment in time, doing the work on yourself, I would say would give you a solid foundation to be able to make the right choices of who to belong to or with or not yourself. Yeah, quiet. And so I think it's hard to know otherwise. And I think if I think about my, my younger self and my teenage self, you know, that's, that's the point where you're desperately trying to latch on to tribes and it can create quite a lot of heartache when you're trying to do that, when you don't really know who you are. Yeah. But I, and I see it with the people we work with you know, you see, you see it if that, if that bit of work's not been done. And unfortunately I don't think we have a, we don't really have a system to do that in our, in what I would consider kind of Northern European Western culture. There's not a clear, you know, lots of other cultures have clear rites of passages for younger people where they really understand, get, get to spend time thinking about themselves and who they are. We don't really have that in our culture. I think sometimes it just happens by accident or it kind of pops out as a, oh my God, I don't really know myself. I'm in my early forties and I've never really thought about what my values are. I've just been going on this, on this treadmill. And I think I see it a lot. We see it a lot in the work that we do, don't, don't we? That people are, People come into coaching with a with a desire to change their relationship with their circumstances, and then it becomes clear that actually quite quickly they need to change their relationship with themselves first. Mm. And it's mm. only once you've done that that you can then think about right. If if I'm really clear about who I am, what I want, then I can make decisions about where I want to belong and with whom and with what. But it's very hard to do that 
if you haven't done that thinking and that exploration. Yeah. And it goes back to what the three areas we've divided our book up into around being, thinking and doing. And if we end up in the doing mode too long, that, that then be, that just dominates. And I just had a conversation, I had a session this morning with a, a client who had been very busy in the context of doing, and that had to be done because of the states of the say the school they're working in and needs to be led to a certain level. But he's now realized that actually there is space now to not only do the thinking and the being bit of it more, but it's absolutely this this some light bulb moment that absolutely it's crucial to the success of himself as a leader, but also of the school that he does that. Because in that moment of coaching, we kind of really got clear about what his purpose was. So his self-awareness allows him to then take that forward for the community that he does belong to and that he's leading. I don't know if that answers the question at all, actually. But I don't know if I asked the question. You had to smell on what you just said, don't know. But that's what popped up. So you were saying about, do we have a way of finding self-awareness? Things get in the way of it, don't they? And there's this, we keep saying about the emphasis on a stoical leader that keeps on going when actually that can be so destructive. Yeah. And I agree that, 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 you know, the being, thinking and doing, I mean, it's such a simple structure, isn't it? But, but I, I think that's the masking, you know, when, when there's not a, an awareness and a comfort with the being. Then yeah. That's a good word. Leaders tend to default to the doing. I'll just keep doing because there's something here that I'm not, I'm, I'm not comfortable with. So I'll just keep doing. Will you humour me, Jill? Because I've got a poem that captures this really, really nicely. Having had a recent recent symposium with Patrick Otuma, I'm not even going to attempt to to get into the giddy heights of the Poetry Unbound podcast, which if you haven't heard, go over there now and listen. It's wonderful. But I feel inspired. And there's a poem that really captures this. So can I share it? Of course. Yeah. So this is The House of Belonging by David White. And he writes, I awoke this morning in the gold light turning this way and that, thinking for a moment it was one day like any other. But the veil had gone from my darkened heart, and I thought, it must have been the quiet candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the first easy rhythm by which I breathed myself to sleep. It must have been the prayer I said, speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought, this is the good day you can meet your love. This is the black day someone close to you could die. This is the day you realise how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light, the tawny, close-grained cedar burning round me like fire and all the angels of this housely heaven ascending through the first roof of light the sun has made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness, and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house like the house of belonging. Mm-hmm. That, that gets my goosebumps. The last <laughs> that gets one, me, that yeah. one does. Yeah, this is the temple of my adult aloneness. There is no house like the house of belonging. Mm. And I think that I, I, may, I may be right or wrong. The beauty of poetry is I can be right, even if it's not what David White intended. <laughs> it takes me right to A-level English. That's what he's speaking about for me. There's, 
there's far more to that poem than just this point, but that kind of familiarity with self. And even if it is your aloneness, that is still part of who you are and that is to whom you belong. And when he mm. says the house of belonging, clearly, clearly he's sitting in a, I think, sitting in a croft somewhere with a, with a fire early in the morning after a long sleep. But I also interpret house of belonging as, you know, your own body. That is, mm. that is my house of belonging. There is no house like the house of belonging. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. There's also yearning. There's a, there is no house like the house of belonging. There's a yearning for something, but he doesn't have to yearn very long because he's got it. It's him. It, he's there. And so that is a, this idea of belonging as being an ex- existential separate thing that we have to strive for. What he's saying is you've got it. You've got it right here. And this being on your own thing is there's a beauty in that absolute beauty that there's no deficit. It's full. It's rich. It's abundant. All those words that you just got what you need. So yeah, that, there's something quite comforting about that. Hmm. Mm. it's really good like that David White's poetry he often talks about kind of really mundane objects you know this yeah. is the bright home in which I live this is where I ask my friends to come this is where I want to love all the things it's taken me so long to love that's that yearning isn't it that idea that I need to wait and and that his, I think his poem's an invitation that actually you know it's all in front of you it's all in front of you to take it just you just need to take it and I think what he's really connecting to for me and this again this is a big part of the work we do isn't is is around presence so we think you know we will belong when i will fit in when when this changes when i change this bit about me i will fit in when this when this happens i will belong and i think is and maybe it's idealistic but again mindful of the earlier part of the conversation about systems that prevent belonging but there's an idealism here i appreciate that but there's also a kind of you don't need to wait you can start to belong to yourself whenever you're ready. And I really like that. I really like that. Yeah, it's almost like it's there for the grabbing. It's there for the taking when you're able to see it, the prize, you know, in front of you. And also this thing that occurs to me, one of our principles is about what you pay attention to grows. If you pay attention to the fact that you do have a sense of belonging to yourself and a responsibility to yourself as well, then if you pay attention to that and see the positive in that, that will open up. It feels like it opens up so much space to then say, well, what next? Where do I, you know, if this is me and, and I, I belong to me, who am I, I going to share me with? Who am I going to join with to join forces, become better people, whatever it is, whatever the goals are? There is that one binary sense of belonging. We are living in such a diverse I'm a world that the importance of knowing yourself actually is probably even more important than it was. I don't know, but it's certainly been the, the conscious thoughts of philosophers throughout the centuries, Aristotle and so on spoke about knowing themselves. So this is the human conundrum. Do it when, when to know ourselves. And again, I don't think it's, don't wait to know yourself. Who are you now? Who are you right now? What is, and what is that? Jill or Matt want to do with their lives right now or, or do it's moment small small is all what's next just what's next so okay well I, do you know what I think that's enough of Matt Hall and Jill Kelly's musings I'm sure our listeners have have had that fill and are probably now <laughs> desperate <laughs> or if not excited to hear who the voice of 
another perspective, which we will be going back to next week. But I've really enjoyed our chat, Jill. I always do. Yes. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for coming along with us on this principled journey. To learn more about making stuff better and how we can help you and leaders in your school, please do get in touch through hello at makingstuffbetter.com. Alternatively, you can find us in all the usual places like LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Links are in the show notes below. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you can, leave us a review. That's all for now. See you next time. Thank you.